Anime Crack podcast, the show that allows at least one person to rant and rave about everything and anything going on in the beautiful game that is football. I'm your host, Luke Peach, and this week I was joined by new fellow co-host George Camp to review everything going on um, for the previous weekend of the Premier League in game week seven. Uh, we reviewed the likes of Wolves versus Crystal Palace, West Brom versus Fulham, Manchester United versus Arsenal, um, Tottenham versus Brighton, and Liverpool West Ham, along with all the other ones that did go on. Now, unfortunately, during recording, it seems that uh, our internet connections weren't exactly stable, uh, and as a result, the actual recording of part one of this podcast was so corrupt, I couldn't actually get it um, to convert. And rather than record the whole blooming thing again, I'm just going to go straight forward to part two for you. So if I have missed your game because it was in part one, do apologise. Please still join us next week for game week eight, where we will make sure we get everything perfectly fine. Uh, but we're going to go straight into part two, which I believe starts with Manchester United versus Arsenal. Enjoy. So the next game is Manchester United versus Arsenal. Manchester United nil, Arsenal 1 was the final score. Uh, Man United starting 11 was David De Gea in goal with Wan-Bissaka, Lindelof, Maguire and Shaw in defence. Fred uh, anchoring the midfield of Scott McTominay and Pogba with Fernandez playing in behind Greenwood and Rashford. For Arsenal, a front three of Aubameyang, Lacazette and Willian. A midfield or with wing-backs per se with Saka, um, Bellerin, Thomas Partey and El Nenny, Kieran Tierney, Gabriel and Holding made up the defence with Leno in goal. Uh, both clubs uh, coming in off the back of wins in Europe, United destroying Leipzig 5-0. Uh, so they did very, very well and obviously Arsenal getting the win in Europa League as well. No van der Beek in the starting eleven again for Manchester United. Good God, why on earth did they buy him? Um, Aubameyang had a great chance early uh, from a Bellerin cross in front of the goal, but couldn't get there. Rashford and Greenwood linked up quite well again, but couldn't finish. And even William ended up skimming the bar uh, in the first half. And Saka, the young guy, um, a great chance from William um, allowed him to head of the ball pretty much uh, unopposed uh, right in front of David De Gea. But perhaps his inexperience coming through there because it just sailed straight over the bar. I mean, this game just had nil-nil written all over it. Neither team were, were, were clinical enough to put anything away. Um, even Fred, Fred, he he kind of gifted Arsenal um, a golden chance, but again, um, they couldn't convert it. Maguire, he even had a golden opportunity to score from a sure free kick, uh, but seemed to have got caught in two minds as to whether to go for goal or, or send it across. I will say this, Arsenal fans, Party is really starting to show his class for me. Some great passing throughout the game. And he made El Nene look like Chavi. Uh, if I'm completely honest, um, El Nene played, played a game uh, of the ages um, from what I could tell. Um, in the end, um, it was a Pogba and a go, a Manchester United mistake that led to Arsenal's goal. He stupidly fouled Bellerin in the box penalty rightfully given and Aubameyang getting his first goal um, uh, since signing his new deal. George has just made a uh, face to me so he probably doesn't agree that the penalty was right but I most certainly do. Um, might have been a penalty uh, uh, from before, uh, sorry, after that when Matic had the ball and Gabriel took him out uh, but nothing was going Man United's way. 
Van der Beek did make an appearance from the bench, as did Cavani. And Van der Beek uh, had a shot that ricocheted off El Nene into the face of Leno and then out as well. So very unlucky for him. That could have easily have gone in on a different day. Um, but that was it. Full-time whistle went. And Arsenal, for the first time in what seems like forever, beat a top six side away from home. And Aubameyang finally getting off the mark there. Um, Interestingly enough, for United, their next game um, is against Everton. And you've got to think, if they lose that, maybe it'll be the last one that we see Solskjaer in charge. Because I believe the international break follows that, potentially. Um, And with Pochettino, as we mentioned earlier, coming out of the darkness um, almost a year after leaving Spurs, um, you've got to think he's ready uh, to take over uh, from Oli at the drop of a hat. I even heard on a on a football radio station today that someone said it's really, really suspicious that exactly a year after Jose takes over, Poch comes into the limelight again, as if Daniel Levy uh, did a proper Daniel Levy type thing and gave him a no compete clause for like 12 months or something. And the second that's lifted, he comes back. Who knows? Um, but overall, uh, that was the game. One nil to Arsenal. George, tell me, what do you think of the penalty then in particular that you don't agree with? That was not a penalty. It's a, it's, it's, it, it, my, again, right? I wrote, I wrote some notes on this game. Very, like, very, like, literally one line of notes. I put, that was not a penalty. Boring game. Pogba overrated. <laughs> That's what I put for that, for the notes of that game. There wasn't much to talk about. The fact, you know what? The fact is, on that game, if you, if you, I watched the game. I actually did watch this one. And, um, Arsenal should have won that 3-4-0. Like, but I think Arsenal had, they didn't have many shots. But I think they had like seven shots, seven or eight shots, something like that. They were, in terms of like shots taken, they're quite similar. Uh, Man United had more of the ball possession-wise. Man United won more of the aerial duels. They, they did less tackles. They had more corners. So United seemed to statistically done a lot more of attacking in the game. Right, they pinched the ball off of Arsenal a lot more as well. They they dispossessed them more. However, when you actually watch that game, and this 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 shows, and I and I like to use stats quite a lot. I do like to use that, and I do think it's really important to be able to use stats as a backup for arguments. However, the stats for this game in particular don't back up any sort of argument because this was a game that Arsenal seemed to be controlling. I thought. They, they looked like they should have won that game by more than one goal. I think actually they were fortunate with the penalty. But you're right. At, four, at, at the start, I was like, oh, God, this is going to be nil-nil. This is going to be nil-nil. There didn't seem to be anything that was going to, you know, take the game by the scruff of the neck and and and, and really, like, finish it off. I mean, William hit the bar, didn't he, or something like that. So, Skimmed it, yeah. Um, yeah, so, if, you know, imagine if that was a few yards under, then a few a few inches under the bar, it's a different game, isn't it? So, um, uh, I will notice that most of the players, bar, I think it was a couple of the defenders, I think defenders got man of the match. So, when a defender gets man of the match, what does that tell you? All right, I think it was Arsenal's centre-back. Gabriel, yeah. Um, so, so yeah, or, or Partey was pretty good, wasn't he? He might he have got mad at the match. Um, so, um, but yeah, it's it, it was a bit of a boring game. I thought Arsenal. Sh- it's it's quite a shame, really, because um, with the fans there, with that kind of game, that that's a big game, isn't it? It's a big. It's not. A, it's not. Not a derby, I suppose, but it is a derby in a sort of sense because they're both big teams. They've got history, and you're expecting 
some scenes. You know what I mean? You're expecting something big to happen in this game. Uh, and once again, um, Man United have been disappointing. Like, they have been really disappointing this season. I don't think... this is, uh, They haven't won a game at home so far, have they, this season? Nope. Um, so, Arsenal are the fourth London club to go there and walk away with something, be it a yeah. point or three points. Um, and I'm not sure. I, I think if my if my memory serves me correct, I think they've probably. I think they might have West Ham as their next home game. I'm not sure. I'm going to have a look um, while I'm talking to you about um, other stuff during the game. But the other thing as well, uh, Van der Beek came off the bench. Remember how Van der Beek was almost. I think what was the quote I heard someone say is that Man United have basically got too many midfielders they're just a team of midfielders right so and they've gone and bought a new midfielder as well which is worrying so um to to back up my argument no they don't have west ham they have west brom the next home game so maybe they're thankful that they're playing west brom and not west west ham at their next home game because we'd definitely give them a run for their money and we play them in the first week of december by which point i would imagine that uh our big man Antonio's back. So, and we tend to perform against United. So, United's next few games are worrying for them. Everton, West Brom, Southampton, West Ham. You know, Everton needs to turn things around. West Brom still haven't won a game. Southampton, they're in form. West Ham, arguably in form, even though we haven't won in a couple of weeks. Um, but the, the teams have been playing a, a top draw team. So, um, it's very possible that, that, Ollie is going to be uh, going to be on his bike, I think. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if this is just my FIFA brain killing me, but if if I was Ollie, Cavani would start. You don't sign someone like Cavani not to not to play him. I think he's a. I think him instead of Greenwood um, up top. Van der Beek should start. Um, I don't know why uh, um, Fred is starting. Uh, yeah. Sorry, Pogba is starting, and Fred, um, and McTominay, and McTominay. You know, all three of those. I think you could take e- any one of those out for for Van der Beek easily. Um, his back four seems quite settled. Um, I think he played Shaw because Tellez was actually out um, sick or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, yeah, 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 yeah. He was sick. And something's got to change in that team. I would even rotate the Gayer out and put Henderson in for a bit. You know, just to freshen things up back there a little bit because Henderson would want to grab his chance. He would shout the blooming roof off yeah. of Old Trafford to, to all the defenders to get back and to, uh, um, from, from what I saw of him anyway, when he was the number one at, um, at Sheffield. But <laughs> that, that, that's what I would do to start. And I think Pochettino would probably do something very, very similar the first game he came in. All of a sudden, yeah. Cavani gets three goals. All of a sudden, Van der Beek gets three assists or whatever. And, and you've got a different Man United. So, yeah. Well, this is the thing, right? And, and, and I, I kind of agree with you, but I kind of don't, right? And the, the reason why I, I kind of don't agree with you is I don't think he would switch things up. Uh, and I'm talking about Pochettino here. It's because I think he, he likes youth, young players. McTominay, Greenwood, Rashford. They're all young players. Um, I think I, I look at the United team, right? And I've said this ever since uh, Mourinho was there, right? Lindelof is not good enough to play for Manchester United. He's not. He's very mistake prone, yet for some reason, he still manages to get in the team week in, week out. And I'm sitting there thinking, how is this geezer getting in the team? Like, how? 
I've, I've watched him many times make a mistake. You've got players, you've got a lot of attacking midfield players on the, be- on the bench. You've got Cavani, you've got Matic, you've got uh, Van der Beek, who all did come on. But you've got Mata, you've got Williams, which I think is a defender, and Tuanzebi, or whatever his name is. I think he's a defender as well. But Jones is still on the books as well, isn't he? Yeah, like, and he's not even on the bench, not making the squad. So, um, and they're playing Wan Bissaka. All right, he's got a bit of pace. Shaw's got a bit of pace, but you know there was document. There was document that he was letting himself go during the summer. He's just not had the chance to be able to let himself go this summer, is he? So, um, yeah, I, I'm worried for United. I really am. I think I look at their squads. I look at the team. I look at the, their manager. I look at the way they play, and they don't worry me. They don't worry me at all. I look at that team and I think I'm more worried about West Ham going to play someone like Aston Villa or Southampton than going to a team like Man United mm. right now. That's, and that's the big issue with them is that when um, Sir Alex was in charge, teams really feared them. They really feared playing them because they know that they're going to be aggressive. They're going to play to the whistle and that they're, they're going to get an earful pretty much throughout the whole game. That you don't have any of that now. You don't have. They're they're too easy. They're too much of a pushover. You look at those players, and I don't I don't see any player there that makes me go, wow. Rashford on occasion maybe, but I don't see any other player. Pogba doesn't make me do that. The hair that used to make me do that, but not anymore. I don't think he's. I, I think he should step aside for Henderson, and I think that'd be the right choice for Man United in terms of taking the next step forward. But then they're not doing that, um, and I think that all of that lies with the manager. So, what, yeah. what, what do they do? What do they do? Well, better get a, a different kind of advent calendar ready, Ollie, because your, your time is, is definitely ticking. <laughs> <laughs> We're laughing because a man's probably going to lose his job. But again, then again, he's probably paid quite heavily well and, and handsomely. 100 games he's been in charge of Manchester United now, which uh, I think if you put a, a decent bet on with Paddy Power, that would never have, um, have, have been backed by, by people who like a, a guaranteed think- winning bet. I think, though, it turns out that he's he has, he's got a relatively good record in terms of wins in those hundred games. I think he's just he does this thing where they play really well for a long period of time, and then they play really poorly for a, a significant period of time, like since the beginning of the season. Mm. It's funny you should say but that. It wouldn't surprise me. It wouldn't surprise me that if they like get to the tenth game of the season and they're still sitting in say tenth, eleventh, twelfth, thirteenth, and then all of a sudden they turn it around. And then they don't they don't lose a game for fifteen games. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if they did that. But they're not gonna do that, I don't think, with Ollie at the wheel and with those players. So an interesting stat for you as well. I saw this. Jose Mourinho at Manchester United at hundred games had a better win percentage. And he was sacked. Oh really? Mm-hmm. Well there you go. So well, there you go. <laughs> uh, don't worry. Uh, stats they they make us all look like idiots sometimes. <laughs> I will. There we go. Uh, okay, so that was Manchester United versus Arsenal. Next match, Tottenham Hotspur versus is Brighton. Uh, final score was two one. Uh, the lineup: Hugo Lloris in goal for Tottenham. Doherty, Alderweireld, Dyer, and Regulon made up the back line with Suzoko and my new favourite player Hoiberg in midfield with Eric Lamella, Undumbele, and Hyunmin Song supporting Harry Kane. 
Brighton. Interesting changes for them. They didn't actually play uh, with a recognised striker um, and they actually took out their normal goalkeeper, Ryan. Um, so up top, you had Trossard, who's not actually a striker. I believe he's more of a winger. Um, you had Adam Lalana supporting him. A midfield of Solly March, uh, Basuma, White, uh, Gross and Lamptey. Um, and then a back three of Burn, Veltman and Webster and Sanchez in goal. Um, goals from Kane and Bale for Spurs obviously got the win uh, and Lamptey. Uh, got one back for Brighton. Uh, Jose was really making a statement to his players after their midweek absolute uh, abysmal failing at Antwerp in the Europa League where they were beaten 1-0. He substituted four players in midweek at half-time and didn't waste too much time in substituting another one a bit later on. Um, And uh, none of them, pretty much none of them, started... Uh, this match either so he's really making a statement to players that underperformed Deli Alley also not even in the squad um, so I watched this one um, it was a good game good game of football both sides having decent chances as what tends to happen in a Spurs game Kane and Lamella uh, both hit the woodwork in this game so arguably you could say that Tottenham could have won by a greater margin um, and uh, Lamptey in particular for Brighton, I want to give a shout out to him because over the last couple of weeks when I have been watching Brighton, he has been the, the standout player. And he, I believe he's actually even done an interview at Sky Sports because Sky Sports have also recognised this as well. Former Chelsea Academy player, I believe so, or a young player at Chelsea who's made the brave choice to go to Brighton to get first team football. And now there are loads of clubs around Europe actually looking for him, apparently. Um, and I, I would welcome him at Spurs, definitely, because of what he can do. Uh, the first goal was actually a penalty to Spurs, and I know George will probably have a lot of things to say about this. Um, long story short, uh, Harry Kane looks over his right shoulder, sees Adam Lallana about to jump for a ball. Uh, he basically backs into him, feels the force of Lallana on his back and goes to the floor. Lallana then goes arse over tip, falls to the floor, um, but uh, Harry Kane is deemed to have been fouled by Lallana. And because it was on the line of the box, or arguably just outside the line, um, the ref ended up giving uh, a penalty. And this was then backed up and confirmed by VAR. Uh, So Kane took the penalty and scored it. Uh, Lamptey with his goal, as good as he is and as good as the goal was, his goal arguably should have been ruled out as well uh, because Hoiberg, in my opinion, was fouled in the build-up to that. But again, VAR checked it. Um, The ref checked it and he actually went over and looked at the recording himself, the ref, and decided to stick with his original decision of not awarding the foul. So goal to Brighton. Uh, the ref just basically had a stinker throughout this game, really, because Doherty also fouled um, one of the Brighton players in the uh, Tottenham penalty box. And in my opinion, that should have been given as a penalty to Brighton uh, as well. So, you know, the ref was balancing out his bad decisions at the very, very least, I suppose you could say. Um, and the bail goal. I mean, Reguilon, for the whole of this game, he was... I love, I love him. He, he's absolutely great. He dances around players. He puts in crosses. He does his bit defensively. And he got to the other end of the pitch, pinged in a goal right on Bale's head. And Bale didn't have to do much. He just had to place it in the right side of the goal. And in it went. Um, and I had to take a very, very cold shower um, instantly afterwards because I was that excited as a Spurs fan. 
Uh, Spurs needed this, in my opinion, you know, after Antwerp beating them in midweek, they needed to bounce back quite quickly. And Brighton is another one of those games that it's a bit of a, a banana peel and Spurs were usually losing these games traditionally uh, in the Premier League. So it's good to see a win there. Um, a very, very interesting quote from Jose afterwards. I miss my old football with goal line technology. And that, of course, referring to Hoiberg um, being fouled and VAR making decisions that both went for and against Tottenham. George, you love talking about Tottenham. What do you think of this match? Yeah, I mean, it was riddled with VAR decisions, this one, wasn't it? The, the Kane penalty, I don't think, was a penalty. It was on the line. It was on the line, but... You can't... You know, he went looking for that penalty. He went looking for it. That's as bad as Salah's. That's as bad as Salah's, and it's as bad as the one, the Pogba one. Um, I don't know who went over, but not, not all three of them. I don't think should have been given as penalties. Um, all three of them reviewed by VAR, and VAR still gave them as penalties, which I think is just ridiculous. Um, the Lamptey goal. Now I disagree with you again. I think I don't think that was a foul because he got the ball. Um, again, we're it's a contact sport, so. Um, sometimes to get the ball you you've got to go through the player or you've got to get the ball and you sometimes you take the player with you either way so you you, you can't play football in a way where you're thinking that i can't touch the player at all because you're scared of giving away a foul well this is the point where that's when players just literally run straight through the middle of a defense because they don't want to touch her i think that's again i i for some reason, I've got a bit of a stickler about challenges that take the player. They take the player. They take the ball, but they follow through with the player, and then they give it as a foul. And I'm like, how can they give that as a foul? Like, unless it's dangerous or reckless, then how can that be given as a foul? Because they've clearly, fairly got the ball. Um, I don't know. What, what, what's your opinion on that? Why do you think it was a foul? Just because of the reaction, basically, from the players more than anything else. Hoiberg went down, clutching his ankle. Clearly, um, he caught him in pain. And <laughs> I think if you, look, if you look at match of the day, they probably articulate it better than I do. Uh, because I believe it was Danny Murphy and, and, and somebody else um, in, in, the, uh, in the match of the day studios. And they believed it was a foul just because, yes, he got a little ankle touch to the ball, but he gets more of the player than the ball, if that makes sense. Um, and that's why uh, they believe it was a foul. I, I see you saying, I, I'll get your argument, but I still think if you get the ball, you take the ball, you dispossess the player, then I, I, I think that's a fair challenge, as long as you're not being reckless or dangerous. Um, mm. But we'll, we'll agree to disagree on that one. Um, Bale, you know what? I smiled when Bale scored that goal. I genuinely did. Um, only because you could see how happy he was when he scored it. Um, do you know what I mean? I don't like the guy. Don't get me wrong. Um, I like him a little bit more now that he came on and basically won and you know allowed us to draw the game against because he, he was the curse. Um, but but yeah, I, I, I did genuinely smile. You know, it could, it, not that it makes a difference to me. However, what does make a difference to me is that I do have Kane on my fantasy team and he's my captain. Um, and by the way, Luke, you had a stinker this week on fantasy football. I did, mainly because I forgot my password to log in and change anything. But we'll, <laughs> we'll, 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 go through, we'll go through that a bit later. Um, yes, moving on. Uh, right, so the next game was Fulham versus West Brom. It was the game uh, yesterday. Uh, Monday night football, or Monday tea time football, as George calls it. Um, Scotty Parker got his first win. Good for him. Fulham, two. West Brom, nil. Uh, the starting lineups for Fulham. Ariola in goal. Aina, Anderson, 
Adebayaro, Adebayaro, <laughs> Robinson, um, Anguissa and Lamina in midfield, Bobby Reed, Kearney and Lookman supporting Mitrovic up front. Uh, for West Brom, you had Grant up top uh, with Diangana, Gallagher, Livermore and Pereira supporting with Kravinovic uh, holding the midfield. With Townsend, Ajay Ivanovic and Furlong uh, protecting Johnston in goal. And as I say, finally a win for Parker and Fulham. Um, actually takes them out of the bottom three, believe it or not. Um, and uh, definitely against the club that they sh- that they want to be winning against. Obviously, a fellow relegation contender. Obviously, if they can do this against the likes of Sheffield and Burnley and that sort of stuff, it will be good for them. Uh, Aina uh, or Aina uh, then had one hell of a crack. So he's supporting the podcast again this week. Thank you very much um, to to score um, the second um, of 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 the two goals for West Brom. Uh, Grant had a chance. Uh, sorry for, for Fulham. Grant had a chance for West Brom afterwards, uh, but West Brom's luck just isn't going for them at the moment. A nasty tackle in this game by Lukman on Kravinovic, which only got a yellow. Um, just worth a note there. Uh, and Fulham uh, could have had a third. Lukman got in behind the uh, right back and Johnson uh, of West Brom. Um, and uh, Johnson came out. To, to meet him it was like outside the six yard box he came out to meet him uh, Lookman squared it to Kearney uh, who tried to loop the goalkeeper uh, and there was two West Brom defenders in the goal one of them managed to clear it but only as far um, as Bobby Reed, um, who then shot the ball and it then hit I believe it was Adebayaro's um, upper upper um, torso um, to still be denied an extra goal. Uh, and it's worth noting, sorry, I haven't put it down here, but Bobby Reed got the first goal uh, for Fulham as well. Good good crack from him. Um, and uh, ultimately, VAR checked that off-the-line clearance um, from Adebayaro, and it was deemed not a foul, no penalty uh, was given. But ultimately, the main thing that came away from this match was first win for Parker, takes Fulham out of the relegation zone. I know Tony Khan, uh, the son of the owner of Fulham, uh, was very active on Twitter saying thank you for all the support moving forward. Uh, but I have to be honest, I, I don't see this as Fulham turning a corner. I see it. I see this as them coming against uh, a team in just as much trouble as they are and, and they were the better side on the day. Uh, but George, what do, what do you think about Fulham West Brom? I, I'm very I'm happy for Fulham, right? I'm sad for West Brom because I like Billich. I'm very happy for Fulham. Two reasons is Fulham are just one of those likeable clubs. Um, and I, I think that they've, they, they've been striving for a win. They've really needed a win. Um, and the other thing is, is we play Fulham next. And I, didn't, I, I, wouldn't, I would prefer them to win this game going into the game against us, thinking, right, we've won the last game. We've won our last game. Let's try and win this game rather than thinking this is a must win because we haven't won a game yet, you know? And they would have seen West Ham as a winnable game and probably still do. Um, West Brom, I know they hit the bar pretty early on. However, Mitrovic, um, although he didn't score, he was very influential with the Fulham, for Fulham um, with the assist for Reed. Um, far too easy, though. Far too easy for the first goal. West Brom defending was non-existent. And then again, Mitrovic for the second one, setting up Aino, he put an absolute crack into the top bin. So, um, yeah, it's, it was... The, the, the thing with this game is West Brom didn't take their chances, chances and they were playing with fire with their defending. Um, and you know what? 
this happened when Bilic was at West Ham. He was making the same mistakes at West Ham. Um, and I, I'm worried for him. There's there's rumours that Bilic's job is 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 very much at risk. And I think this early on, I think, is a joke, to be honest, especially given that, um, you know, they're a new club into the Premier League. They're known to be a bit of a yo-yo club anyway. Um, and he did really well for them last year, getting them promoted. They've made, and the problem is that they've made a couple of big signings with Grant and Dean Garner. Dean Garner hasn't really turned up the past couple of games, despite the fact that all us West Ham thinks he's the best thing since sliced bread. Um, so I think West Brom are going to be in trouble, although I do think Fulham are going to be in trouble. I think they're both going to get relegated. If, you know, if, if I had to put money on it, they're the two I'd put relegation on. Um, Lookman, that was, that was a bit of a naughty challenge. I, I think I know why he didn't get sent off. And I think it's because the studs weren't up. and He didn't make such a contact like um, Milivojevic made. You know, in that challenge where he properly caught his leg and his ankle got turned over, I don't. You know, that's the, I think that's the only reason why he wasn't sent off because there wasn't such a definitive contact, clutch contact, if that makes sense, on the player. Um, however, it did look a bit naughty, um, and I, when I first saw it, I was like, oh, oh, that was that's borderline red card. That like, if there was an orange card, that would have been cut. It would have come out or a sin bin card. You know, it yeah. would have come out. I think. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm happy for Fulham, happy for Scott Parker. Uh, it's one of those games actually where, um, I would have been quite happy with like a, like a Desmond 2-2 draw. Um, because <laughs> I, I, I like, I like Fulham because of, because of Parker uh, and just because they're a likable team. Um, and I like West, West Brom because of, of Billich and Dean Garner. And I, I like the West Brom fans as well. Um, just, just as a whole. So yeah, it was an all right game. All right game. Uh, it, it was it was going to go one way or the other, wasn't it? So um, I don't, I, that's the type of game where you, I look I looked at that game and thought that's not going to be a draw because one of those teams needed so bad. Um, it's not exactly a game I'd pay fourteen ninety five for. Um, if, I, if I'm completely no, no, honest, exactly. And, I, and you know what? I didn't. Unless you're a Fulham or West Brom fan, you're not going to pay to watch that, are you? Like, and I think that's it's one of those tactics that they've done with um, with the pay per view. Is that I don't know why they're not putting the games that people would want to watch on the pay-per-view or is it the argument that is sky get to have the first pick of the games that they get to choose you know so the ones that are left to get on pay-per-view but let's talk about that uh they're going to make them all free again for the lockdown but who knows hey we'll see we'll get the inside track when me and you both get a job at sky sports news as as pundits um but until then um, we can only just do this little podcast. Leeds versus Leicester is the is the final game of our game week seven review, um, and that happened uh, as Monday night football. Um, Leeds, the starting eleven was uh, what's his name, Meslier, Meslier in goal, the young goalkeeper who looks like he could be my son. Um, Ailing, Koch, Cooper, and Dallas in, in defence with Klitsch holding the midfield. Uh, Costa, Hernandez, Shackleton and Harrison all supporting last week's uh, hat-trick hero Bamford. Leicester had Jamie Vardy up top, uh, up top being supported by uh, Harvey Barnes um, and Prate, Pratt. Um, or Brighton, Tillemans, Mendy and uh, Thomas made up the midfield with Fuchs, Fofana and Justin making up the back line protecting Schmeichel. 
Now, Bamford could have scored a header, um, a very, very easy header, in my opinion, up one end, uh, but it was saved, and Leicester broke straight away, straight down the other end. Harvey Barnes set up Jamie Vardy to make it 1-0. So, classic Leicester counter-attacking goal from that season that they won the Premier League. Um, Vardy then had a great strike denied by the keeper, um, but Tillemans was there to fire in the rebound to make it 0-2. So Leeds were under the cosh quite quickly in this one. Uh, Dallas um, of of Leeds then floated across into the Leicester box, uh, and everyone, including the Leicester goalkeeper, completely missed it, and it went straight into the goal um, to make it 2-1. Madison um, then found Under with a lovely ball um, from one side of the pitch to the other. And then Under with some serious skill just lopped it over the Leeds defender. And it was almost as if the ball just waited on the centre spot for Vardy to just run onto it and absolutely blast it past the goalkeeper to make it 3-1 to uh, Leicester. Uh, and then finally, a very heavy challenge by Klitsch on Madison gave away a penalty um, and uh, Tillemans then fired it home for one because Vardy had gone off by that point, the usual penalty taker. So two for Vardy, two for Tillemans, one for Leeds, four for Leicester. 1-4 was the final score. Bielsa himself has come out saying he made a, a, a mistake with his, his team selection. Um, but take nothing away from Leicester and from Brendan Rodgers, of course. They were absolutely fantastic in this match. And we alluded to it earlier that Brendan, he decided to have a little bit of a nibble uh, during his post-match conference saying about him being an English manager and not getting the the recognition um, that he would get if his last name was Suarez or or something else foreign. (laughs) So, George, uh, what do you think of the final Premier League game of the weekend? Um... This is one of those games where I think a lot of people have looked at that scoreline and have been surprised. Um, I, on the other hand, am not surprised because you've got to look at it from the perspective of Leicester are, a, are they like it or not, Leicester are a title-challenging team, right? They are, I would class them more of a top six team than what Arsenal are or big six team than what Arsenal are, right? Would you agree with that at the moment? From the yeah, but I'm a Tottenham fans. fan, so I'm a little bit biased towards that. Yeah, but, but yes, I think yeah. I think most people would at, the, at this current night. Leicester are a better team than Arsenal and yeah. Man United right now. Yeah. Um, yeah. And Leeds have just just been promoted, and they've and I said this beforehand, before on a previous podcast, is that Leeds have got players, the vast majority of their players, who were at the club two years ago, and they're still there and they're still performing. Dallas, I think, is one of them actually. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. Or either way, but you know the the first goal, right? And I, I've mentioned about Bamford before. Frustrating. I, I have Bamford in my fantasy team as well because he's either on it and scores a hat trick like he did last weekend, or he's not on it and he's missing chances. Well, this week he was missing chances, and they got punished for it straight away because Barnes went up the other end. It was a terrible back pass. It was a shocker of a back pass. But Vardy caught hold of it. Cold of it caught hold of it and played it into Barnes Bosch goal done took one nil um, and then 20 minutes later Tielemann scores um, so it's just it's one of those games where um, I think a lot of people were expecting it to be a lot closer than what it was um, it was a good game and Leicester played really well that was very dominant and it was back to the Leicester that we're used to seeing it's not the Leicester that West Ham played three you know and they lost they got drummed at home 3-0. Um, this is a very dominant 
Leicester team performance of which you look at them and you think to yourself, if they play like that every single week, they're definitely going to be in and around the top boys challenging for at least the Champions League space. So um, I think to conclude on that game, it's the, the influence of Vardy um, and he's, he's still got that pace as well up top. Um, and Bamford and his inconsistency of being able to put the ball in the back of the net when it really matters. And the thing, and the thing is, you look at this game and you think, it's 4-1 to Leicester. Does it really matter if Bamford missed a chance? Well, yeah, it does. Because if he scored that, then Barnes wouldn't have gone up the other end and scored that goal. And it would be a completely different game because Leeds would be 1-0 up and they've mm-hmm. got the momentum. So um, I don't think it's a case of, um, I think Bielsa's probably been a bit hard on himself where he said, oh, um, I, I made a couple more mistakes in the team lineup. I think it's just a case of they didn't take their chances. I really do. Um, it's, it's a shame for, for Leeds because they were building a bit of momentum as well. Um, we, we can see if they bounce back next week. Um, let's see who they got. Leeds, United are pacing. Crystal Palace away. So oh, they right. could easily so, bounce back on that one. Yeah, right? exactly. You'll be looking at that. I mean, if they play a high line, Batshuayi will get himself offside a couple of times anyway, because that's what he keeps doing. So, um, And if Saha doesn't turn up, that game's in the bag. So, okay. Uh, so, okay. So the Premier League table goes like this um, for uh, the end of game week seven. It's worth pointing out that between 13th and first, there is currently a six point difference. Um, but the team in 13th, if they win, they can go um, as high as fourth. Um, so it's still quite tight. Uh, in first place, Liverpool with 16 points. Leicester come in second with 15. Tottenham in third with 14. Everton make up the top four on 13 points. But joining them on 13 points are points are both Southampton and Wolves. Uh, Chelsea, Villa and Arsenal all have 12 points, uh, being 7th, 8th and 9th in that order. Manchester City... Um, with a gaming hand, actually, and so have Aston Villa, just to point that out, um, are on 11 points. Uh, Newcastle as well join them on that total. Leeds and Crystal Palace both on 10 points, so the winner of that one uh, next weekend will be crucial to putting a wedge between those two. West Ham in 14th on eight points. Manchester United, another team that has a game in hand, um, are on seven points. Um, Brighton and Fulham, uh, on five and four points and in the bottom three you have West Brom with three points Sheffield United on one and Burnley on one but Burnley do have the other gaming hand as well so just to clarify that's Manchester City Aston Villa Man United and Burnley all with games in hand so potentially add three points to any one of those um, depending on what happens in that result Okay, so I did say uh, earlier that I would give my take on cheating. So strap yourself in, George, because I, I, uh, I've written this down. It may be a bit controversial. It may ruffle a few feathers. Who knows? Or you might agree with me. Uh, we'll see what happens. So you ready for this? Yeah, go on. Okay. Okay. So cheating, to me, seems to be a very big thing this week, particularly with Kane and Lalana, Salah and uh, Masuaku, all these other things. For me, personally, I agree that this type of thing should not be in the game. But the reality is, it is. And my question is, what is anyone actually going to do about it? At the end of the day, refs can start giving yellows or reds, players can be fined, clubs can be fined, whatever. But we all know that whatever change happens, it will only last for three to six weeks. And then someone will get a fine or someone will get a red card when they shouldn't have. And all things will go back to normal. We've seen it before in football with handball rules and offsides and all this, that and the other. So why would this be any different? 
I don't want to say this, but I think we have to accept that this sort of thing is the modern game. It's only a matter of time before FIFA has this as a feature in their games, maybe. You press B to go down in the box or press B repeatedly to complain to the ref to get a 20% chance he'll change his mind. You know, Mourinho said it in the Tottenham documentary. If you haven't watched it, go watch it on Amazon Prime. Um, you have to be bastards to win. And bastards cheat. They're more aggressive. They will put pressure on the ref and ultimately get away with things. If you look at all the Premier League winners in recent memory, Liverpool, Leicester, United, Chelsea, City and Arsenal. Now, look at all the players being accused of cheating the most. Salah, Liverpool, Sterling, Liverpool and City, Drogba, Chelsea, Nani, Young, United, Madison even, Leicester, Xhaka at Arsenal and of course Kane. Although don't point out, George, I know Kane hasn't won anything. Um, but top teams are doing it and winning. So, of course, people are going to do it because it brings success. And if you try and call them out on it, they will say the same things, if anything at all. It's part of the modern game. You're too nice. You're a sore loser. And in two years' time, or whatever, we won't be saying Liverpool won the league, but they cheated in five games. No, we will just say Liverpool won the league. This isn't something you can start, stamp out. Um, because in football, you have 17-year-old kids playing with 30, 32-year-old blokes, and they'll learn of each other, and it will keep going through the generations. So I begrudgingly say this to anyone listening. This is now the modern game. Maybe, if we're lucky, in 10 years, it will have changed because some new rules will have come in place and maybe someone comes up with a weird and wonderful punishment that actually works. But ultimately, I think we should all strap ourselves in because these cheaters or these types of penalties and types of fouls and types of things happening are just part of the game. And a part of me, unfortunately, thinks we just have to accept that. But what do you think, George? This is very, very touchy for me. Um, now, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to pick up on one quote that you said there, and I think it will justify my argument quite nicely. You said, to win, to be successful, you have to be a bastard. And to be a bastard, you've got to be aggressive and you've got to cheat. Now, to be, to be aggressive is fine, and I agree with that. But to be a bastard and to, to cheat... Is, is it's just not ethically right, is it? You know, you know when you watch a game of football, you just don't you, you don't want to see it. You don't want to see it, as, as especially as a neutral. When you look at a game, you just there's something you don't want to see as part of a game. My take on it is, if you simulate something, be that a reaction to someone actually making contact with you, or to completely dive without any contact to get an, to get a decision, or to effectively look and create a foul which isn't like which isn't really going to be there but you create the foul yourself by your body position or your body movements then i i put that in the ball of cheating and um years and years and years ago when arsenal were the invincibles people used to say same old arsenal always cheating and unfortunately you're right it is part of the game it is and there used to be a time, and it, was, it, wasn't even, it was, wasn't even that long ago, a couple of seasons back, where players were getting yellow cards and they were getting bans for diving in the box. And I remember this, this vividly because mm. I remember I went to West Ham away at Stoke. We won 3-0, but our first goal was a penalty. He got the penalty. This was before VAR. And we won the penalty. They, after the game, it got reviewed and he got a two-match ban because of it. 
but because we won the game. We went on and won the game 3-0. It wouldn't have mattered, technically, I suppose, by the scoreline. But obviously, that was the first goal of the game. It created the momentum, and it was deemed to have won us the game because he simulated the dive. Now, at the time, it was a definite penalty at the time. When I remember what well, I remember being there and seeing it in full speed. It's a definite penalty. But when you, re- when you review it, you slow it down, you see it. It's not a penalty. He didn't touch him. He dived. So, cheated. Um, it's unfortunate, but something needs to be done. The something does need to be done about it because if something isn't done about it, then it's going to ruin the game. And what will happen is VAR will be more and more and more criticised to the point where managers are criticising it to the point where clubs are then going, we need to vote on VAR as if we, to, to vote if we still want it in the game. And it will get to the point where teams will vote VAR out of the Premier League. And like it or not, VAR is good for the Premier League because it creates a fairer game. However, um, it, it takes the joy out of it at the same time, if you know what I mean. So it's almost like the thing that was brought in to the Premier League, or to football in general, the thing that was brought in in VAR um, is actually having a detrimental effect because people, players and managers and coaches and teams, they're being able to use VAR to create the foul, to create the contact that wasn't originally going to be there. You see players all the time leave the leg out so that they can, so that they can create the contact, create the foul. And as soon as there's contact, bam, they hit the floor. They hit the floor, they create the penalty, they, they create the foul. Um, and it's, it's something that, unfortunately, as you said, is not going to get eradicated Im- like immediately. Um, it's a long-term fix, um, and I just don't—I don't think that I don't think FIFA and UEFA and the Premier League have got the balls to be able to actually do something about it. That's that's the problem as well. I, I just don't think that they see it as such a problem where they can eradicate it in a way that fans like us want to see it eradicated. Um, mm. But it's it's the bigger teams that seem to be benefiting from it, but they benefit from it because. They have the ball more as well, yeah. So I mean, they get fouled more because they have the ball more. Yeah, I mean, I said I said a lot of top names there, you know, um, Drogba, Salah, Sterling, but it doesn't yeah. just happen there. Obviously, you know, Grealish was the most fouled player in the Premier League last season. I guarantee yeah. you, he didn't actually get fouled that many times, uh, but yeah. those were the amount of fouls actually awarded to him. Zaha at Crystal Palace is another one. I know uh, a mate of mine strongly hates Zaha just because of that. Um, you know, you could you could probably pick out at least one in every team that does it. Um, yeah. So, like I say, um, it's a sad thing to accept that's in the game at the moment. We all do probably want change, but what form that takes and whether it will stick, I don't know. Because like you say, yeah. retrospective bans, they did happen all for, what, six weeks until they started either getting decisions wrong or the refs kind of moved on to the next biggest thing, which was probably handball or the fact that yeah. things are offside when they're not. So it, I don't know. I, I, I don't know is the short answer, but for now, like I say, I think we should all just strap ourselves in, make noise where we have to, but otherwise it's, it's, it's not going anywhere. Yeah. 
as, yeah, as harsh as that is to end on but that is all the time we have for this week um please everyone listening join me and george next week uh, when we will review game week eight uh, with the likes of everton versus man united city versus liverpool is next weekend as well um spurs versus west brom west ham fulham and of course all the other important games too so guys don't forget you can follow both of us on twitter i'm at lj peachy and the podcast itself is at have a crack pod george where can they follow you I'm at Campy WHU. Brilliant. Again, guys, thank you very much for sticking with us and listening through. Have a great weekend, everyone. Bye-bye.